right, friends, Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason, and I am broadcasting from the great north woods of northern Wisconsin. Um, I'm up here because <laughs> I have missed my first three deadlines on my uh, my book that I'm writing for Zondervan. It's kind of a spinoff on the tactics topic, and I have mentioned to some, uh, I'm hoping to have it published at the end of this year. There's no chance for that. It's actually going to be the middle of next year coming out, but uh, and that's on fast track if I get it done this month. So I am sequestered in our lovely place on a lake uh, right now, these first two weeks uh, of August with my daughter, Eva. She came up with me and actually asked Papa if she could come, which was great, warm the cockles of my heart, and uh, have to head back for next weekend. Then I'll be back for the last two weeks, just pounding away um, at the uh, at the manuscript. And God willing, I'll, I'll get it finished. And my publisher and, and my agent and and my family will all be happy, and I'll be happy too doing that. But we are right now in our first week of our wonderful yearly summer project. We call it Be One of the 100. I say it's wonderful because it's been a wonderful experience for us and for others. The Be One of the 100 is our appeal every August for at least 100 new people to uh, join our ranks as strategic partners. Now, you've heard the phrase a lot, and we've had so many callers that have called in, and before they get rolling on their question or comment or interaction. They say, I just want to let you know we're strategic partners, my wife and I maybe, and my husband and I, and we want to encourage other people to do that. And what a strategic partner is, is a member of a group of a cadre, the way I look at it, of, 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 uh, of support people who are really the backbone of Stand to Reason. And they are the ones who have committed a monthly gift that usually automatically comes in. I'm not sure how the finances work, but they just say, look at every month we're going to do this. We're sending you our gift and you can count on us. And this is one, one of the things that stabilizes our budget and helps us to plan for the future and plan all those wonderful things that, um, so many of you have benefited from, um, over the years. I mean, the realities we've been doing, I think we had 10,000 Students last year, even with the COVID restrictions, we still hit 10,000 in our six different locations around the country. Um, we have uh, 6,000 users right now that are doing our STRU online uh, training. We've got uh, Tim Barnett's uh, Red Pen Logic, thousands of people um, using that. And you know how what we do. We do this radio show. We do the podcast, STR Ask. Uh, that's all that we are able to do because we have faithful people that are um, are helping out individually, being part of our cadre as strategic partners. And uh, every uh, every year we are, or I should say, for that four weeks. Usually, we try each show to have a um, a, a a guest on who is a strategic partner. And uh, feature them and have a little chat with them. And this week, I've got someone really special on. His name is EJ Thompson. And EJ, what a uh, what a treat to have you on board today. Thank you, Greg. I'm just honored to be here. Um, I mean, SDR has been a huge part of my life um, for a while now, and to be able to be on the podcast is well. It's great to have you. 
it's great to have you on board here. And um, we have a history together, you and I, don't we? Yes, that is true. Well, and it's kind of interesting that I am here in the EV Free Church in Woodruff, Wisconsin, doing the broadcast, because this is the place where I first met you and your folks, Eric and Liz. And tell us a little bit about that relationship and the history we have together. I think the uh, listeners would be really interested in that. So yeah, um, right now I'm 18 years old, and I think the first time we really met Greg was in maybe 2016. So when I was 12 years old. So oh, yeah. for years right. now, my parents and I have been kind of listening to SDR. We've been huge fans of Greg and we've been kind of following around, um, going to conferences and places where we're speaking and, um, yeah, just supporting wherever we can. Um, mm-hmm. We actually kind of have a picture timeline of all the years no. <laughs> and all the times we've seen him in person. So. You, yeah, you guys, you you guys are my wonderful stalkers here up in northern Wisconsin because you live in <laughs> Minneapolis area, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and so uh, you and your folks showed up when you were twelve years old and said hi and shook my hand, and you drove all the way out because every every summer I do a presentation here at this church here in Woodruff, the EV Free Church, and it's been our church for probably 25 years, and you guys made the drive three and a half or four hours out from your place and uh, came to the event in the morning and in the evening, as I recall, and uh, and that's when we first met. And then every year after that, you guys would show up, and that first year we got a picture of you and I standing next to each other, and the next year we got another picture, and the next year we got another picture, and... You guys have all these pictures now of you getting taller and me getting older. Yep. And also, I think I stayed I stayed at your home when uh, two years ago when we had reality there. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that was awesome. Super fun time. Yeah, it was a great fun for me, too. So now, and I just want to underscore, you said you're 18 years old. So you've been going to our events, the talks here at this church, and then reality for the last, I think, three years. This is this is our fourth year we'll be having reality in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Minneapolis in uh, uh, November, mid-November this year. But uh, you've gone to all of those things, too. And so um, I am thrilled to hear that you are now a strategic partner. So tell me a little bit about um, um, how you got involved and interested in apologetics and standard reason you mentioned um, that, you know, you've been listening for a long time. What kind of piqued your curiosity originally and got you interested in that and in us? So originally my, um, when my sister, when she was in high school, she kind of started asking um, questions to my dad and questioning uh, the faith. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sparked my dad to start uh, diving into apologetics and mainly STR. Um, so with that, I kind of followed along. And over the years, me and my dad have um, studied a lot of the stuff um, on STR. And we actually started a class with sons and their dads called Stack, which is Systematic Theology and Apologetics course. Wow. So we use a lot of like... Um, Trusted resources like SDR, um, <laughs> guys like Frank Turek, James Warner Wallace, uh-huh. and people who are at the reality conference and speakers there. And we've kind of just taken the material and really gotten familiar with it, um, examined other worldviews, and yeah, it's just been really awesome. Strengthened my faith a ton. I mean, mm-hmm. apologetics, um, 
it's, you honestly, know it's pretty much changed my life. I, right. Well, when I was there at your home a couple of years ago and uh, for reality, it was it was um, actually it was the week before reality. I think I taught in your church, but whatever it was when I stayed there, and you guys told me about this this. Uh, Get together you had with dads and their sons and studying theology. It was a stunner to me. It was so fabulous to hear how you guys had really taken the ball and run with it, uh, not just with the stand reason stuff, but also with, like you mentioned, Turek stuff and, and a whole bunch of other stuff that's available so that the relationships that the fathers and sons were having together would be built up and there would be a deepening of your understanding of God and the reasons why, um, you know, Christ and the Bible and God are all there and reliable and dependable and why people should follow. So it's just, that was a great, that was a great thing. How many people in that group, how many couples, fathers and son couples in that group now? Yeah. So it started with about, I think five different, father and son, and it's grown now to, I think, total of maybe 30 people. It's wow. really gotten big. People have, in the church have just been interested, and uh-huh. yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. So now you're a strategic partner. That was a big step for you as an 18-year-old. Tell us about yeah. that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I started a part-time job when I was 16, and um, I just started considering giving to Christian ministries because... Um, that's what my parents do, and I think that is an important part of being Christian. So, mm-hmm. um, gr- growing up listening to STR, um, I just thought, what what better ministry to donate uh, my money to than STR? Because you guys are honestly changing lives, and yeah, the conferences are great. So, mm. I just thought STR would be an awesome choice to support. Well, I I agree with you on that one, EJ. So um, I just want to say thanks so much for <laughs> being a strategic partner. Thanks so much for coming on the air and uh, and talking with me a little bit about your experience uh, with STR and being an 18-year-old strategic partner. It's great following your, your folks' steps because uh, we've been friends with them now for like six or seven years, and uh, I look forward to the relationship with all of us continuing on for many, many years. So thanks so much for coming on, EJ, and thanks for being a strategic partner. Of course, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And please give uh, my best to your mom and dad, Eric and Liz. Of course. All right, buddy. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye now. So there's EJ Thompson and uh, 18 years old and a strategic partner. We have we have so many. I, you know, I remember last year trying to pick out some people to be on the air. I said, give me a list. And it was like an overwhelming list. I'm looking for names I recognize. Of course, there were a lot of them, but most of them I don't. Um, like many people have said to me when I meet them, um, you don't know me, but I know you. And uh, I guess that's the nature of how this works. But I'm, I'm glad that you know me and that uh, you know Stand to Reason. So here's my appeal. We're shooting for 100 new strategic partners by the 31st of August, which, by the way, is also my book, my fourth book deadline. So we both have a deadline here. Right now, we're looking at 37 people. I just checked the numbers today, already signed up this year. That means we're about one quarter of the way, maybe a third of the way there and about a third of the month. So we're right on pace to um, to hit our 100 goal. But uh, of course, I'd like to see us go way over that as well. 
We'd like you to be on the team. And uh, one, there are a number of benefits if you become a Facebook – I'm sorry, if you become a strategic partner, and that is a private Facebook group that you can be a member of. So when we do special events just for our st- strategic partners on Facebook, you get a link and you can be part of that, okay? You also get our in-depth training resources with an added 10% discount at the standard recent store. That's all gets set up for you. And uh, so we're helping you and you're helping us invest in the next generation of Christian ambassadors. And also for this month, that's for all strategic partners. But when you join up this month as a thanks for your monthly pledge of $25 or more, uh, we are going to, we are going to send you the entire 20, 21, 22, 22, that would be last reality conference season, uh, from chaos to clarity. We're going to send you the whole thing. It's going to be available via a video download, and we're going to send you a reality t-shirt. Um, this particular conference has seven different presentations on topics like abortion and race and sexuality, and it's it's really, that was one of the most incredible realities we've ever had. So we're happy to send that to you to say thank you. If you want to become a strategic partner, if you've been thinking about it for a while, this is the time to do it. Our special month, August, where we uh, invite you to be one of the 100s. A simple um, source for doing that, and that is, now I gotta find it. I thought I had it right in front of me. The website is, oh my goodness, where did it go? It is STR, I think it's. <laughs> oh, I am such a good salesman, right? Where is it? Here, maybe this one. Yes, it is. str.org slash partner. There you go. Be one of the 100. str-org forward slash partner. And you can sign up as a new SP, strategic partner. And uh, I'll be thrilled if you do so. All right, there you go. Hey, let's take a break. And then we'll come back with more on Standard Reason. Have you seen our brand new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Standard Reason website was designed with you in mind. It has an easier-than-ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with a confidence Clear thinking and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal, allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. Did you know Stand a Reason has a YouTube channel? We release a new video each Monday on the topics you care about. Through short, engaging videos, our speakers train you on tactics, offer apologetics tips, answer common theology questions, and address big issues in the world today. Join tens of thousands of other subscribers so you can stay up to date when we release a new video. Just go to youtube.com and search STR videos, all one word, and hit the subscribe button. That's STR videos. Take advantage of this free resource to help you stay informed, encouraged, and equipped as you share your worldview with others.
Greg Kopel here, back with you, giving you a piece of my mind, as I do <laughs> every day. I did it very well today. I realized that I'm in an unusual location here. I don't have my bottle of water to keep my lips um, lubricated here. But uh, before we go any further, I need to make a correction about something I said, I think, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about slavery in uh, the United States and uh, comparing that to aborted children. Some of you remember my comments there. And I got some figures mixed up. I talked about 388,000 slaves in America, that was the number shipped to North America. That wasn't the number of slaves over two and a half centuries in America. That number was much bigger. In fact, uh, in 1860, there were something like four million slaves in America. So my mistake, thanks and uh, hat tip to Rick Walton for bringing that to my attention. I'm glad I have a chance to correct that uh, misstep there. Um, I just came from CIA Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. It was a great session. We had it in Cincinnati, Ohio this year. We spent like three days with 60 people and Frank Turek and uh, Brett Kunkel and myself and Bobby Conway and uh, Jay Warner Wallace and Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane and a whole bunch of instructors are part of that enterprise. But um, it was wonderful to be with those uh, students. And if you don't, if you haven't gone, well, if you've thought about going to one of these, you might want to think um, just for next year. And I don't know the exact dates yet, but we're, I think it's going to be in Arizona somewhere, but we keep moving this thing around. But uh, it's actually Frank's project, and I, I just get invited every year, so 15 years now. But what happened uh, then is something that ha actually happens fairly regularly with me when I'm at events, and uh, there are people who are very ambitious, appropriately ambitious, about making a difference for the cause of Christ. And um, what they what they want to do is they want to you know, write something or make a contribution um, uh, of some fashion to get published, uh, as many of the speakers have done. And I thought uh, it might be a good idea to talk a little bit about that to save um, about how the process works, because I explain this when I get asked the question, and sometimes people get things in reverse and end up um, doing a lot more work than maybe they need to, okay? So let me put it this way. When someone comes up to me and says, I have written a book on apologetics, and I would like to get it published, can you help me do that? Or do you have any suggestions is what they're asking for. How can I go about do, doing that? The first thing that comes to my mind is they have the order reversed, okay? Because you never – now – of course, never say never, right? There are exceptions to this. But characteristically, the way this book publishing business works is you don't write a book and try to sell it. You try to sell it first and then write it. And that's what I did with Story of Reality. That's what I did with Tactics and the 10th Anniversary Edition. That's what I did with Street Smarts, which is the working title of the book I'm working on right now. And that's the way pretty much everybody else does it. Um, to write an entire manuscript is to put a lot of work into a book and then hope someone will read it. And 
what often happens is people will send the manuscript, which used to be in paper form, so publishers would get these reams of paper, manuscripts upon manuscripts that end up in a pile never get read because they weren't asked for. And they've got lots of work to do with other things that they've already got contracts with or other book proposals that they're taking a look at. They're not going to read a whole manuscript in a certain sense, sight unseen. Okay. Oh, I mentioned book proposal. That's the way it's done. You go to a, to a publishing house who is a house that publishes the kind of books you are thinking about writing the kind of book you're thinking about writing because um, different houses have different emphases and they also have different theological perspectives. Okay. So um, you have to go to the kind of publishing house that has a history of publishing the kind of book that you're thinking about writing. Okay. And then you submit to them what's called a book proposal. <laughs> Nothing fancy there. It's uh, if you go to the website, find the writer's guidelines for whatever publishing house you're interested in, you can go to different ones and see what their writer's guidelines are and how they want you to present a book proposal to them. So here's the inside scoop. If you don't follow their rules, you won't get published by them. Those rules are for making their job easier. And if you make them their job harder, then you know they don't. <laughs> they're not going to read your manuscript or your proposal. Follow their rules, all right. And so that's the way it works. Book proposals have lots of different sections, and the different things they're going to ask you are important for them to decide whether or not they're going to publish you. Now, remember, a publishing house is in business to make a profit. Now. With Christian publishers, that's not the only consideration, but it is the ultimate bottom line. If they can't make a profit on it, they don't want to expend the capital to publish it and take that risk if they don't think this is going to be profitable. Of course, they have more interests, and uh, chief among them is to have a spiritual, a salutary spiritual impact on the readers, and Christian publishers care about that. But if they have a book that has good substance and has no real uh, ability to get marketed well for a number of reasons I'll mention in a moment, um, then they're not going to take a chance, okay? So you want, to, you want to follow their rules and you want to keep in mind that they have to, they are going to be, they need to be appealed to based on the financials related to your project. That's huge. It's not the only thing. If you've got a lousy idea and a lousy book, you know, they, and it's not going to edify in some significant sense, well, they're not going to be interested either. But you can't ignore the financials. So if you have written or are thinking about writing something that, it, that you think has great potential, and maybe it does, and maybe your friends have said this is a great idea and that you deliver the ideas really well. Okay, fine. However, if you cannot convince the publisher that that people, a large enough pe number of people are going to buy the book to cover their costs and give them a little head in the process, um, make a little profit for themselves, then they're not going to consider it. Okay, so all of these things are details 
in the book proposal. They want to know who you are and why anybody should buy a book from you. I'm chuckling when I say this a little bit because I had a book proposal. Uh, I had a manuscript I was working on in 1983, a long time ago. And it wasn't apologetics, long 10 years before Stand to Reason, okay? I'm not even going to tell you what it was because it, to me it's a little embarrassing. But I brought it to a writer's conference, and then I had a meeting with a an acquisitions editor from a publishing house. And she looked at the piece and asked me this question. Why would anybody want to buy a book that you have written? including this particular book, and I had absolutely no answer. Obviously, um, she didn't buy it. In fact, I threw it in the trash. (laughs) That was the end of that. Now, I did end up selling an article, and it was the first thing that I'd ever sold. I sold an article about my experiences in a Cambodian refugee camp and photos along with it, and I got more money for the photos than I did for the article. And then a year later, they asked me to write another as a magazine article, and I did that too. So that's how I got rolling as a published author. Um, but, um, I had something that that particular magazine, Young Ambassador was the title of the magazine. It was for young people. And, um, so I wrote to their audience, um, about the young people in the refugee camp. And uh, it was called No Country, No Home. And so I was able to sell that. But I learned a lesson. And that is if I can't tell, convince a publisher that people will buy my book for some good reason, the book that I write, then they're not going to take my project, okay? So how does that work nowadays? It's a lot different now than it was then. Now everything is about footprint. Everything is about tribe. How many people do you have following on Facebook? How many people are following you on Twitter? Do you have a podcast? Do you have a video cast? How big is your tribe? Because the tribe is an in-situ, in-place um, body of people that are would be inclined to purchase your book. And if you have developed creds with that group of people, then the answer to the question, why would anybody buy this book from you, is because I have all these people who are already following me and think that I offer something good, and these are the kind of people that are prime purchasers for the book. Publishers care about that. If you have no tribe, if you have no footprint, If you have just buddies, friends, family members on your Facebook, which is all fine for personal use, but professionally speaking, they're not going to look at you. It's too big of a risk if you don't have followers. Now, are there exceptions? Yeah. I think J.K. Rowling um, was able to get an agent, even though she was an unpublished author, I think, at the time, with her project for the Harry Potter series, and got rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And all those are <laughs> those people are weeping now, right? Uh, before she finally got somebody who's willing to publish her book. Okay, so there are exceptions, but they're rare. They're very rare. Keep in mind, too, that the average book, and these might be old stats, so that might be less than this now. The average book sells... No, I just then I have two numbers in my mind, but uh, let's put it this way: I generalize only a couple thousand copies. 
And that's once you, you, that's the average. So on the high end, you got the Rowlings and the Stephen Kings and all of those people, you know, and then you've got gazillions of others that don't sell anything for a publishing house. So that's the nature of the business. One other thing too, and I know the people that I'm talking to are people who are generally speaking deeply interested in apologetics and good. I'm glad for that. <laughs> and therefore, um, are motivated to write a book on apologetics. And I want to give you some professional advice. The market is flooded. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of books on the market with people that have really good creds. They have, they have great credentials. They have great credibility with their audiences. They have large platforms. I don't think the world needs another book on apologetics. And I suspect that most publishers will feel the same way, with the exception of if you have a big footprint. Now, Neil Shenvey just wrote and published a new book on apologetics, okay? Neil Shenvey had made, made a, a, a appropriately a big splash in the critical race theory field. And um, because of his his visibility in that field— there are a lot of people that would be interested in what he had to say about apologetics. So that is the kind of circumstance that would uh, have a publisher get interested. So Andervin asked me many times, not many times, a couple of times, why don't you just do a basic book on apologetics? And I said, because the world doesn't need another book on apologetics, okay? Um, but as we talked about some other ideas, it did occur to me that I could expand – on the tactics franchise, so to speak. And if you know about the tactical game plan, the, there are three steps. And the first step is to gather information. The second step is to uh, reverse the burden of proof. And these are all very, very mild, passive maneuvers that you can make a lot of headway in conversations with without taking on any risk yourself because you're just asking questions, gathering different types of information. But the third step is to use questions to make a point of some sort. And especially if you know that there's a liability in and somebody who's opposing you in their point of view or their argument, if you know there's a liability, step three in the tactical approach is to use a question to expose the liability, not just say it outright. Oh, that's self-refuting. Oh, that's not going to work because this, that, or the other thing. But rather discovering the problems and a lot of the first tactics book is about that, and then using a question to demonstrate the flaw, okay? Exploit the flaw, if you will. Um, it occurred to me also that there are a whole lot of issues that Christians are facing right now that they don't entirely know how to deal with, especially using questions to expose the liabilities of. So notice that now we're talking about general apologetics, but a twist. And the twist is dialogues with questions that will help expose the flaws. It'll get people going. It'll be a launching pad for conversations with atheists or people who are pro-abortion or people who are um, have questions about the Bible or challenges about Jesus or uh, the problem of evil or a whole host of different things. So that's the topic I'm dealing with now, the project I'm working on with Street Smarts. The subtitle is Using Questions 
to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. Okay, now you can see the tie-in. I have a book, Tactics, has a, it has a track record that's a good one. Um, I'm thinking now from the marketing perspective of a publisher, here is a apologetics book. There's a lot of them out there, but this one's got a twist. It's got an angle that ties it in with this other successful book. And so now this becomes a project that is worth considering. And they did consider it, and we signed a contract last year. But you can see how under those circumstances, some of the really critical things that I mentioned need to be in place were in place, even though it was a general apologetics book. It's got a twist that's tied to this other material. So my suspicion is at this point, some of you who have been thinking about doing something like this are a bit chagrined, distressed, especially if you've started writing. Well, there's still a place for you. It's called self-publishing. The thing is with self-publishing is that you have to do all the work. Now, you can get a publishing house that does that kind of thing. That is, they will publish the book for you, but you have to capitalize the whole project, which means you got to pony up the cash to get 100 or 500 or 1,000 copies of your book printed. And they'll have to lay it out and all that other stuff, and you pay for that as well. So you are the publishing house and get someone else to print it, and you pay them to print it, and then you are the marketer and the distributor of your own titles. Some people have gone that way and have been able to make a difference, and uh, I, it's, it's not going to be the kind of impact as the other scenario that I just described, but it's still a way of making an impact. And um, you're, if you're learning a lot of stuff about apologetics and, and you want to write what you're learning and you have a way of expressing yourself that you think is will be helpful to other people, go ahead and do it. I promise you, you're going to learn your apologetics a whole lot better when you have to write about it, okay? It just has a way of cementing these things in your own mind. And if you have people that will help you with the editing, give you genuine feedback, not just to make you feel good, but to make you l look better, and that's what Amy Hall does for me, and that's what Nancy Ulrich does for me, they make me look so much better so that when I get done with my copy, and in my case it goes on to Zondervan, it's very, very clean. But you want a clean copy to go off from you as well, okay? You want it to look good, to sound good, not have too many words, be structured well. And this is what other people who've got an ear or an eye for that in writing, and good writing takes a good ear. It's called euphony. You want it to sound good in people's head. If you have people to help you, then they're going to help you. Then you'll produce a better work. And uh, and then there's going to be people you're going to be able to influence. And if you're fortunate and work on it, especially if you are a public speaker, in, in some measure, you have some avenue to publicly speak to people about your ideas, then you can bring the books along and you can sell them and you get the full price for them. So it might cost you three bucks for the book to be published and uh, you might sell it for 15 and then you pocket the 12 bucks each copy or something like that. Well, that's great. Okay. But it's a lot of work too. And uh, I got too much work on my plate to do that myself. So uh, that's why I have Zondermann doing it for me as well. Anyway, I hope that this um, little rundown has uh, given you a picture of how this all works. And the publishing business is a weird business in some ways because the market is weird and it and uh, publishers don't want to take chances. 
Uh, they want to make a profit like every other business, and they want to make a spiritual impact if they're Christian publishers. If you can show a publisher that you have something, even if it's not apologetics, but something that will that has spiritual substance that you can communicate in a, a, an adequate or an appropriate way. You don't have to be a best-selling, award-winning writer. You, you, that's what editors on those teams are for, to help you sound better. And if you have a, a publishing house that you're working with, well, then that's part of what they're supposed to do. If you can show them that you know you can at least produce usable copy that they can work with and the substance is um, is good – and that you have a footprint, <laughs> a tribe, adequate uh, for them to take on the risk, um, you might get yourself a book deal. That's the way that works. Okay, hope that helps. Uh, let's go to break here on Stand to Reason and come back to some calls. Greg Kokel here. Stay with us. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org slash donate to show your financial support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org slash donate. Back at you here on Stand to Reason, Greg Copel, your host. And another thought I just had while I was getting a drink during the break about writing is that writing is really hard, <laughs> uh, especially good writing. If you're just doing stream of consciousness stuff, okay, no big deal. Maybe even fun. It's uh, cathartic to write down things that you're thinking or feeling that need to be expressed, but. Good writing, that's a lot of work. And I remember reading um, in the beginning of my copy of Pilgrim's Progress there, and uh, the author whose name is totally famous and always escapes me, um, but you know who it is. I know there's a bunch of you screaming at your radio or your podcast right now saying the name. 
Anyway, he wrote a poem in the, that goes with the uh, the piece, the, the the book Pilgrim's Progress, and he's and John Bunyan. Here, there you go, John Bunyan. Um, that was about the struggle of writing, and in the piece, in the poem, he he's talking about the difficulty, and then he there's a couplet. I won't give you the I, I memorized it, but I'll just give you the point. And that is that there's a constant pulling that takes place. You pull, 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 pull. And uh, I've rarely uh, taken on a writing project that I did that that I didn't think I couldn't do. In other words, I get the project, I think I can't do this. I sign the contract, then I think I can't do this. Even solid grounds. Here's what I want to talk about, but I can't do this. And so, what do I do? I just Sit down and just start, and you get some stuff and throw it in there, and you pull, pull, pull. You move it around. You pull. You cut. You paste. You think about more words. Then you get rid of words. It's just a long process of of blood, sweat, and tears, okay, and prayers. Um, some people have said, but it, when we read it, it looks like it's, it was so easy to write. Yeah, that takes a lot of work to create a piece that makes it look like it was easy to write. All right. So um, just saying that that's part of it. All the other things that I mentioned, those have to take place as, as well. But once you get squared away, you got to sit down and write. Then you got to do it. Incidentally, in your book proposal, they're going to want a table of con- not only a summary of your idea for the book. They're going to want a table of contents and they're going to want a chapter or two that you've already written. So that work you'll already have to do. But they want to read um, how you express yourself. Okay, so a couple of other details I forgot to mention. All right, we got some callers on board. Let's go to Peyton, Colorado, and Rhonda. Hello, Rhonda. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. How are you, Mr. Coco? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm sitting here in Wisconsin watching the deer walk by on the lawn outside. Really? Really? Well, uh, we have been getting a lot of rain here, which has been good, and I this is my first call to you, sir. Okay, well, I'm glad <laughs> glad to have you on board. Welcome to the show, Rhonda. What's on your mind? Well, sir, um, I I have a concern that I'm seeing, uh, and help me out with this is with um, the the church. Uh, you know, I've been to church and uh, I've stepped away from it, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason being is, you know. I realize that God is love, mercy, justice. Everything's perfectly balanced with God. Okay. But I hear very little about, um, well, for example, I just re-listened to, you know, um, uh, your uh, podcast about, you know, uh, growing spiritually takes a long, long, long time. And, you know, it's painful. And my question is, you know, to listen in a church, wherever that may be, to approach that subject as far as preparing Christians, people, um, for for suffering. You know, I don't hear very much of that. Did you say suffering? Is, thing I don't, was that what you said, suffering? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree yes, with sir. you there. This is... I, you know, you mentioned listening to a podcast. It might have been the one I was talking about. How a lot of churches are just, in a certain sense, 
inappropriately triumphant. Everything's always wonderful, and, and it, that isn't the case for Christians in a fallen world. And Scripture makes that clear that there's going to be a lot of difficulties, but um, there, it, it is not um, – it's not the usual thing that churches have a sober understanding or portray a sober understanding of the challenges of the Christian life and and help Christians through those difficult things. So I think, you know, if that's what you're saying, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, it is. And, uh, you know, when another aspect, of course, is apologetics, which is almost, you know, from my view, sir, uh, it's just non-existent in a sense of, you know, the teaching of. And uh, I've been uh, to apologetics class. Uh-huh. Uh, I got all your books and everything and mm-hmm. all that, and I just keep going through them and through them. Oh, because good not only the techniques, the techniques like the Colombo tactic, uh-huh. it, it's useful everywhere. Oh. You know, in conversations, whether it's Christian or not, or mm-hmm. what do you mean by et cetera. Yeah. And I think my biggest concern is, uh, bottom line is not preparing uh, the, you know, Christians uh, for suffering. Why do I say that? Stating, you know, looking at the current world events, things unfolding, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, another topic real quick, you know, I read about the rapture. And, yes, I was indoctrinated into that also. When I uh, started my walk, I was a little late at 52. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, wait, say, tell me again what it was. Know, you're indo- I missed that word, though. You said you were indoctrinated into what? Uh, the you know the rapture. Oh, uh, the rapture. St- okay, theory, I got you. Right, I right, right. Well, yeah. well, yeah. that's a the, the, yeah. And of course, uh, ahead, what I was going to what I was going to say is that was I mean, of course, the rapture is a, a respectable point of view. A lot of people hold it that I know, and I have no trouble with that. I just don't hold the view myself, and and I think I've expressed the concern that. If people are expecting the rapture is going to rescue them from difficulties and troubles in our culture and our times, uh, they got another thing coming because for right. two thousand years Christians have suffered. So, right. is that is the issue here? You're you're having trouble finding a church that is um, is kind of feeding you the way you feel you need to be fed. Is that it? I I think I think that is it, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, I mean, I could visit, you know, various ones, and Mm -hmm. uh, I have a sister in Christ that I work with, and she's running into the, you know, the same... Kinds of things. The same scenarios. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know... know, Where is Peyton, Colorado? Is that near near a a larger metropolitan area, or is that kind of in the the country somewhere? Well, it is in the country, sir. It's uh, approximately uh, uh, about 20, 21 miles uh, uh, east of Colorado Springs, sir. Okay, well, at least you're close to the springs. 20 miles isn't far, at least not in L.A. terms. So uh, you're within striking distance of a lot of good places. Okay, let me just give you some quick – some offer you some quick thoughts about this whole thing about choosing a church. Um, There's a a statement I heard many years ago. 
And I, I think it's something we all have to keep in mind, though I don't think this is your particular problem or issue, but it is something to keep in mind. And the person, the yeah. statement was, quit looking for a perfect church. If you found it, they wouldn't let you join anyway, you know, because, you know, you'd mess it up right, or I'd right. mess it up, whatever. So now I know you're not looking for the perfect church, but the point I want to make with you is that every church that you find, that you go to, you're going to have things that you don't agree with, things that you wish they would mm-hmm. emphasize that they don't, things that they they do emphasize and, and you wish they didn't, you know. Every church is going mm-hmm. to have that. And and so what you what you need to be looking for here is a um is something that in general is going to be able to feed you well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my own church, they have an apologetics conference every summer. So like five weeks in a row, they have a guest speaker. But it isn't like all the rest of the year they're doing apologetics. You know, they're just doing mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then then there's uh, – most of the things with my pastor I agree with were broadly on the same page. But in any given talk, I might disagree with some particular thing. So that's going to be true of any church I go to. Okay, what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm mm-hmm. looking for, and and frankly, there's hardly any churches that I think take the suffering part very seriously, you know, and um, okay. some are more balanced, but you know that's just a liability of Christendom in America. Okay, now with mm-hmm. that in mind, though, there are going to be certain things that really disqualify a church, and I went for me, and I went in my daughter had my wife and I go to a local church in our community, and I saw certain things going on and that were being said and certain um, theology emphasized. I said, no way, and you're not coming back here either. Okay, so there are going to be certain things, and you know some of those things for me, and each person has their own things that you say, this is not theologically a place I'm comfortable with, and this is not um, maybe culturally a place I'm comfortable with, or I cannot, I'm okay with the preacher, but I cannot stand the music. Well, music's a big part of it, and worship's a big part of Sunday service, and if you can't stand it, you know, that's going to make it really hard. So there is a right, balance right. here, Rhonda, is what I'm saying. Right. There's a balance yes, back and forth between trying to find some place where you can have a, a meaningful community experience with other Christians— uh, you can mm-hmm. be fed on the things that are most important to you, okay, mm-hmm. and that that you can um, <clears throat> worship in a meaningful way, all right? Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, doesn't have big giant red flags for you emotionally or or, or, or theologically, uh, and then mm-hmm. and then you kind of learn to live with you just learn with to live with the things that you're not so thrilled about. And then if you find another mm-hmm. place that has more things that you like and less things that you don't like, well, you can, you know, set up camp there. But um, mm-hmm. it's always going to be a trade-off. This is true in life's relationships. This is true in family issues. This is true with, true with friends. This is true with marriages. There's always trade-offs here. And um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful for you, um, Rhonda, or um, – if that helps speak to your issues well, or not? Yes, sir. I, I believe it does. And, uh, you know, I do agree uh, with uh, yeah, what you said as far as the trade-offs. And uh, it's, it's more, 
internal for me as far as the apologetics portion and right. what we just discussed as far as, you know, well, basically, guys, here's the skinny. This is what's really going on. It's mm-hmm. like your book in reality. I right. mean, here's here's the reality of the situation, guys. Okay. Um, are we going to speak about this? Question mark. <laughs> you know, incidentally, Has anybody approach that? Yeah, you know. Let me jump in. And I you're just, the only. I just, uh, I just yeah. only have about a minute to go, so I wanted to say one other thing because I know your interest is in apologetics, and one of the things we're developing right now at Stand yeah. to Reason is our our uh, outpost strategy, and uh, in another month, we are going to be commissioning outposts in different parts of the country which are kind of groups of Christians in local churches that do care about apologetics. And so as you go online to sdr.org, you want to keep um, track of where those are happening. Maybe there'll be one that shows up in Colorado Springs associated with a church, and that might be a place that you'll feel comfortable going because there's a group of uh, apologetics-minded people there, and also it may be a church that you feel comfortable in for the other reasons I mentioned. So... This is something we're hoping to provide here. You know, well, we will be providing, not hoping. It's way we're uh, Robbie Lashua is with STR. He's he's rocking and rolling with his whole thing. So this is something that's going to be happening, and uh, um, this is it might help you and so many others with the concerns that you have finding a local church that of kindred spirit people in the area of apologetics. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rhonda. Well. Sounds good, sir. Thank you, and uh, have a good day, sir. Okay, I appreciate your call from Peyton, Colorado. We will be letting you know more about those things. The up the I will be announcing when we start launching and talking about a few locations. I know there's a place on our website though that's going to be featuring all of these things and all the details for the outposts uh, that will be coming up. But that's going to be, I think, a great way to satisfy the needs of Christians who are looking for fellowship of those kindred spirits in the area of apologetics. I even heard about it a couple weeks ago, even the CIA. Hey, where's a place where I can go and find people like this? And uh, hopefully we'll provide that for you soon. All right, that's it for this show, friends. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Go out and give them heaven. 